In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. Claire Price is the CEO of Octane, a global strategic planning consultancy that helps small and mid-market companies grow to dominate their markets by fueling the speed of business. She started working remotely in the 1980s as a tech reporter for Information Week magazine and later as a research director for Gartner. Prior to launching Octane, she was Vice President of Research for Demand Metric, a strategic marketing advisory service where she led the research analysis into cloud computing applications for marketing automation, social platforms, and several other products. Claire is the author of two books and an experienced speaker for American Marketing Association, Vistage, California Society of Association Executives, Women in Technology International, eWomen Network, and the UC Davis Graduate School of Management. And welcome to the People Catalyst podcast, Claire Price. Hi, Carla. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. We're super, super excited to talk about your new ebook here, which is Make Remote Work, which has been a huge conversation here, obviously, since all of us are, I mean, there's there's a reason Zoom, what their, their uh, stock price and their share value doubled in the last uh, two months. I think they went from 20 million users to 200 and 20 million users, which is quite interesting. They've done a great job though. Um, I've been using Zoom for a really long time here, but your ebook, Make Remote Work, and you know, you're know you no uh, stranger to working remotely. I've known you for quite some time, Claire, but uh, now everybody's pressed into this, right? So when you think about the law of diffusion of innovation, 110 years of marketing research, of adopting something new, this has not really been quite the adoption because I think 29% of people worked remotely prior to this and they pushed it up depending on the vertical upwards of 96%, but on average, it's just hindering around 70% of people being pressed into uh, working remotely. But before we get into the book, Claire, share with us a little bit. You've got a really unique background, not only in who you've worked for, but you know your background is in technology. But share with us uh, your entrepreneurial story of how you started out and then how you've uh, evolved into your uh, current firm. Well, thank you, Carla. I appreciate the opportunity to just kind of share a little bit about how we got here. So I have actually been working remote uh, since uh, the, uh, the mid-90s. I started my, my entrepreneurial uh, journey as a tech reporter for a magazine called Information Week. And um, technology was relatively new around that time. The internet was just getting started. So it was a really exciting time. Yes, I and remember. We're dating ourselves. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just a bit. Um, and uh, it, so I was able to be, but the, 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 the exciting part of that, Carla, was being able to be on the scene when companies like Cisco and Oracle and, and these companies were, were, were really creating what we use every day now and even more so now that we're all working remotely as a, as a core technology or as a core part of our lives. And so that was exciting and the ability to just see that evolution and be part of that evolution 
was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, Very cool I, as far as the innovation aspect of it. And then Cisco was a great company because even when the 90s, you know, the tech bubble burst, they still innovated even around that and are still one of the largest technology companies in, in the world. So that's, that's exciting stuff. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is they really kind of saw this remote um, because they were uh, a network uh, infrastructure company, uh, network routers and whatnot, actually putting the, the, the endpoints of the network together. They saw this remote video conferencing happening way in advance and they bought a company called Webex, which is mm-hmm. one of the earliest. I remember videos. Webex, which isn't that go-to webinar and go-to meeting now? Did they change uh, the name? You know, that's, a, that's a different one. Was it a separate one? Webex yeah. Is a di- yeah. Webex is, is one company. Go-to meeting is about the same age. So mm-hmm. early companies that are, you know, have just kind of been plodding along are now having to, to innovate. And then um, there's some relative newcomers like Zoom and whatnot. Um, so being able to be part of that for me is super exciting. And then I started my own virtual company in uh, Sacramento here in 2004. And what I've been able to do is be not only a remote employee, as I was with uh, the, the magazine and also with uh, research from Gartner Group, um, I've also been an executive team lead. I led a, I led a team um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, a startup. I was the VP of marketing and I was in San Francisco. And then uh, following that, I launched my own company. And um, I now have clients from Australia to the Philippines to, um, you know, across the United States. And so not only customers, but but team members that uh, we all do all of our work virtually. So I was really kind of excited that this, you know, evolution happened because it gave us all yeah because we've been trying to talk people into doing it for a long time right exactly (laughs) exactly it's been kind of there's been this like this concern and i'll share share a funny story so one of the groups i work with here in sacramento is the um, sacramento manufacturing initiative and um it's it's to create and promote manufacturing in the sacramento region one of our our president one of our core members is from siemens and he he was talking to me about this he says i don't know how to manage my people anymore because i'm used to walking around and mm-hmm. seeing everybody and now i have to do all of this you know through the through the video conference so it's definitely mm-hmm. been somewhat of a, of a uh, change and uh, a rethink for some people Yes, definitely. And so share with us a little bit about, and you said you were the VP of marketing for one company and your background obviously was working um, kind of on the scene with the Information Week magazine. And obviously you're not a stranger to remote employee, but what are the types of positions that you fill within organizations that you were saying you've got clients from Australia to the Philippines and team members around the world we'd actually do as well but what are the what are the problems that you solve i think it's really interesting you said that you know you're working with a group and they have this remote working challenge and that is not uncommon that has been something that has been at the top of a lot of individuals agenda but can you share with us the other areas of work that you do remotely with these organizations? Well, one of the things that I have been uh, doing some focusing on the last several years and one of my larger clients is um, actually a cloud computing company. They do cloud knowledge management. 
And I think one of the things that I really realized is the critical importance of digital transformation for mid-market and smaller companies. Mm -hmm. And there is a survey that the um, executive executive practice group um, gave recently that said only 12% of the companies are even far down the line in in this digital transformation. Wow, you're kidding me. No, 12%. So we've got a long way to go, particularly for our mid-market companies. And that's where I'm focusing with a lot of my clients right now is how can you improve your cost-effectiveness, your efficiencies, your ability to be agile and adapt and pivot at speed in this new environment? Because again, we're, we're, not, we're not in a situation, Carla, where we have this thing happen, like let's call it, like the Great Recession happened, and then we just sort of get our way out of it. This is a moving target. We're going to be dealing with um, constant change here now for a minimum of of a couple of years, I think. And so Mm -hmm. companies have to be able to be agile. They have to be able to to pivot to new opportunities. And so that's something that I'm working with a lot of my clients on. From my cloud computing background, yeah. Is and how that makes they take advantage of that of that environment. Well, and that makes a lot of sense not only from your background, but you know, it's not like this digital age is new, but again, 110 years of marketing research, law of diffusion of innovations, how people adopt new ideas. Um and, and now it's being forced upon them and I think it's not it, it, and this presses a couple of ways, which is number one, the new normal right? That we will have to look at. And there's benefits and drawbacks to both. But then also this 40 to 50 trillion in assets, the largest transformation of assets that's ever going to come in the, well, the sense of history of the world anyway, uh, with the baby boomers that are going to have this huge um, asset uh, transfer is that if you're not digitally ready for that, a lot of the intangible assets that go into the valuation of a company and you're not taking that into consideration. I mean, that's really a huge aspect of any mid-market company currently, because how are you going to have an acquisition uh, if you transfer a lot of that information digitally? Absolutely. And also, as I know that you're very familiar with, with uh, what you do with the who do method is, um, making sure that you have the talent uh, aligned with, with what the requirements are mm-hmm. and making sure that um, the individual tools are available because there are a lot of tools available that are in the market that are cloud-based tools that the companies haven't taken advantage of and need to take a look at. And as that wealth gets transferred, as they have, you know, they have to make new kinds of decisions, having those kind of tools, I think it's going to make a big difference. That makes sense. And also on the buy side, because we're obviously focused on the business owner and the in the sell side, but on the buy side, if somebody hadn't transferred to digital assets and you can see the value of transferring to those digital assets and you have the knowledge base by which you can uh, have that talent aligned with your team, boy, you could really benefit from that, right? I mean, on the buy, you could basically, people would be living, it's why private equity exists, right? People would be leaving millions of bucks on the table. You know, they're selling their company and 90% of business owners sell because they're just tired and burnt out. 
But if you understood this methodology and you were acquiring and had business acquisition, that would be pretty dang powerful too, right? If only 12% are ready for the digital transformation or they have created a digital they transformation. They have, have created the digital transformation. Yeah. You, yeah. Getting ahead of that curve. I mean, it's, it's really important because a lot of our global companies, you know, those or pick an Apple, pick a Google, whatever, um, you know, pick a, a General Electric, you know, a global company, they do understand the need for this because they have had to operate all over the world for a while. But our, our mid-market companies, that's new to them. And having, having the right approach, they've got to do, they've got to look at three things, Carla. They have to look at their people. Do they have the right people in the right positions? Do they have the people? Um, and then what's their process? Do they really have a good process for making these changes and making sure that their team is aligned with the direction that the company needs to go? And then third, they have to look at their product. They have to see one of the biggest changes I think we're going to see going forward are how people want to buy and uh, and uh, connect with your products. Mm -hmm. And two things. Well, that yeah, that's so different. And it doesn't matter if your product if, is real estate or if it's a, you know, um, a product that you're, they're purchasing online or they want to touch it, like the glasses companies that sell you them, right? And you put them on your face and send them back. There's so many different ways now, right? That exactly. individuals want to and how do they want to is a great question. And based off their age, they're likely to want to engage with the product differently too, which is kind of unique. More and more companies want... Uh, customers want from companies is they want self-service. Mm -hmm. They do not want to have to necessarily, and even before we had this lockdown, people were, were getting away from going to the stores. They wanted to do things like Stitch Pitch. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Nordstrom followed up uh, Stitch Pitch with uh, their trunk their trunk offering where the stylist puts the outfit together for you and then sends it off to you and then you try it on and you keep what you want and send back what you don't want. Mm -hmm. That's an example of how retail is reinventing itself to take advantage of a remote environment and a remote uh, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to say the least. When you think about that change that's happening and it's speeding up, right? And now all of a sudden, I mean, they just put the gas pedal on it, right? As far as the um, the stay at home uh, and and basically a lockdown, right? To uh, reduce the COVID nineteen challenge that we've had here recently. But think of the differences that have happened at a decade, at five years, at two years, right? And then, I mean, mm -hmm. Dollar Shave Club. Just think about that. Like, <laughs> it's like. It's a billion dollar company, right? And so leveraging that innovation is absolutely critical. How are, what are some of the ways in, in your ebook that you discuss how companies can think about that and think about that differently and also leverage that remote work or that because there's more, it's, it's more even just about working remotely. It's also about buying remotely, right? Um, and, and depending if you're purchasing groceries all the way to, um, 
uh, outfits. So what are some of the things that you found that companies can look at? You talked about the product and you talk about uh, how the customers want to interact with the product. What are some of the other things that you found in uh, writing your ebook, Make Remote Work, that were interesting to you, not only on how fast this is coming, but the way that companies can think about it so that they can be ahead of that curve? Well, I think there's three things, Carla, regarding a pro- looking at your products and, and sort of starting to reimagine what that might look like. The first thing is, what about your product and services can you bring online? That's, mm-hmm. that's number one. Um, and, and we're not just talking about, you know, the, the standard e-commerce. We're talking about, can you service your products online? I'll give you a great example. One of my clients does data security. I will not name the client for confidentiality reasons, but one of their competitors sells all of their large data, data top secret data security products online now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my client does not, but they're going to have to start looking at that. Also, serving servicing things online. Can you do an online, create an online maintenance uh, contract, for example, where someone's paying monthly, like a home warranty, for even you know the um, industrial products that you might be selling. That's number one. Number two, and you brought it up when you mentioned Dollar Shave Club. They're actually in my book as an example of subscription pricing models. Mm-hmm. Of how there are multiple different subscription pricing models that you can use as a as a company and. They, uh, for example, you have a membership model like a, like a fitness gym, but you can also have a surprise box model like BarkBox where mm-hmm. uh, uh, people who are buying for their dogs can get a monthly goodie box. They don't know what's in their surprise box. They just pay their you know, $29.99 a month and, and get that. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of different ways to do subscription pricing. And I think it's worth most companies taking a look at at uh, selling or servicing their products uh, through a subscription pricing model. And, and, then and the- by the way, subscription is great for the financial aspect of selling your company as well, because being able to project the revenue versus having, if the marketing medium changes, right, then it can completely affect your financials, but a subscription model is a great way. Uh, And of course, being a training company, that's why I know that. Uh, But it's a great way that you can assimilate a lot of data or a a lot of products. Because think about it, now you're sending the same exact box, right? The bark box, the same exact one. You're not custom ordering it. You don't have to have a customer service person there to take every single monthly order. So that's a real interesting one. I love it. So, okay, share the last one with us, Claire. So uh, I want to follow up on on one thing about that too, just to reinforce what you're saying about um, selling your business. When you have a subscription pricing model, what's one of the biggest problems, and I'm going to switch topics a little bit, but one of the biggest problems that we know with smaller businesses and medium-sized businesses is the owner is too much in the business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have a subscription pricing model, that takes the owner out of the business more quickly and more effectively than almost any other strategy. Mm-hmm. Yep. The relationship is directly with the customer through the and, business, and not the owner. And re- revenue as opposed yep. to the owner going out and selling a pro- you know, a project and then another project and then another project. So I uh, just want to kind of re- uh, relap on that a little bit. The third thing that I 
think companies are going to have to look at is community marketing. So what do I mean about, what do I mean uh, with community marketing? Well, community marketing is letting your community do your marketing for you. That means reviews. That means not just social media posting and sharing and liking, but actually building your product, not only for your community, but with your community. So you can use your community for market research. You can uh, do product testing with your community. You can get to, to the point where um, you have got this group of not just raving fans, which we all want to try to get, but actually a group that is, that is so aligned with your product, your service, that they are bringing other people into the community without you incentivizing Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And that's a, you know, it's like uh, social media 2.0 because they're engaged in all those pieces of the product that you, um, that you, regardless if it's a physical product, right, or an intangible product, which is like an information product. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. I am so excited to check this out because I know that, and thank you so much for including the Hoodoo Method in your book because it's a process by which you can figure out what you're going to do, ideation and implementation, how are you going to do it? And so one of the things that all the listeners can do is go back and figure out, you know, what can you bring online? Run the process in ideation, right? Come up with every single idea that you can think about. Pick all the whole, pick the best ideas, set of ideas, poke all the holes in the ideas, run that process over and over and over again. And I can guarantee you with your team, not only will you have 100% buy-in, but then you can move to implementing those. And we've got tons of podcasts that you can listen to. And, uh, but Claire, where can we find your book? So the book is available online uh, through my, uh, through our uh well, it's our landing page. Our website isn't up yet, so. <laughs> well, we will make sure but that. If they want, if someone wants to, um, um, I can send you a link to the landing page, Carla. Um, but also, if someone is interested in getting a copy, what I'd love for them to do is just send me an email. And it's Claire, C-L-A-R-E, at Octane, O-C-T-A-I-N, growth.com. Wow, we're really on the uh, cutting edge here of uh, you launching this book. So this is awesome. I'm super yes, excited about it. It's four days it's been out. And it looks like a little bit behind it. <laughs> uh, we know how that goes. It's a lot of work to put up a new website. That's for sure. So we're super excited about this. And Claire, thank you so much. We'll make sure we include your email address in the show notes. And thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Carla. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life. 